invited by Whoa. Dolby. Whoa. You're in the podcast now. <laughs> no, that's THX, right? What's the one oh, the, yeah. that has the crazy like reverbing synth sound, right? Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> What's Dolby's? Ah! War, 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 <laughs> war. <laughs> That's right. It's Woodland War Machine, episode 102, where we teach ourselves how to teach other people this crazy game. Hi, Sam. Hi, Kyle. Hey, how's it going, Jake? Yeah, I'm excited to talk about... Uh teaching the game that some say is unteachable yeah the simplest board game to teach in the entire universe how's it going jake <laughs> very good who says it's unteachable is that the legend uh, about it the monks on the hill say that? i will say i am a professional board game instructor all right <laughs> root is my favorite board game you have collected right. paychecks for providing that service which makes right. you professional and mm-hmm. I, I have taught this game to many people and I will say, outside of the three people that I initially taught this game to, I have had zero people come back. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, take everything I say with a grain of salt. Again, I am a professional. I should be able to do this. But a lot of people just, they play their first game or two and they get a little discouraged. So that's going to be a big part of, the, uh, of this episode is minimizing that. <laughs> Kyle, how are you doing? <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. I, as one of the three people that you initially taught, Root, I can definitely say that my experience of this game has, it's been super enjoyable, and it's partly because of the way you taught it. It was it was Ooh. pretty great. Although, I will say, you've probably taught the game a bunch of times since then, and have accrued a lot of wisdom about how to teach the game. So, I'm, I'm excited to be able to kind of pick your brain a little bit as the kind of resident expert on teaching stuff well jake you yourself are also a professional board game uh instructor in a different way through the 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 medium of video (laughs) (laughs) well said yes i i have made some video uh videos about board game rules and learning how to play um so i guess we're all fairly versed in this and i would say that wait so who were your first four was it you josh jules and kyle yep got it that's and then the everybody four. else was a bunch of kids? Cardboard like, cutouts, <laughs> yeah. Um, no, man. Well, why do you think they didn't come back? Do you think it was because their first experience or because it's such a hard game to get down at the table again? Or I think, I think first of all, not everyone loves like a game with a lot of conflict. Some people like, and I think I learned to suss that out in somebody, whether they were a a person that liked to get head to head and like Mm -hmm. brainy about things. Yeah. Or if they were more just like in it for the good times. Mm -hmm. And as we discussed in a previous episode, uh, Cole Worley wanted to make this game good, not fun. So I (laughs) do feel like I did experience, (laughs) experience some of that for people who just want fun times out of games. (laughs) I like your insistence to always be making sure we, we are aware that this game is probably not fun. Well, <laughs> there will be pain. The, the only reason I react this way is because no one's come back. You know what I mean, Jake? I need 
I need to Are you make just sure sulking that... in the corner of the board game room in like dark Come lighting? Come play Root with me. Come try this <laughs> once. You won't enjoy it, but I will. <laughs> like what? <laughs> Do well, you always we'll leave your introductions into... with, all right, now this game is good, but not fun. Anyway, <laughs> you're a cat. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say that, like, as a, as a person who does like to go head to head and get kind of brainy about things, I, my experience of this game is that it's super fun. Yeah, me too. So I have to say that probably inside the like Russian nesting doll of like what kind of gamer I am, I find Root to be very fun and very well constructed. I see what you're saying, though, Sam, of like uh, people being conflict diverse because it is a competitive game that is competitive right from the get go. Like you have to plan literally to attack another person at the table right right out. Whereas like, uh, you know, so many other games are about engine management or like, you know, uh, card selection and other things before you even get to really slowing down your opponents. This is about killing your opponents. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we talked about how, like, in Root, you have to basically rob someone else of a victory in order to achieve it yourself. And that can leave people feeling bad, right? Uh, so uh, so it's no surprise why this game isn't necessarily just for everybody or whatever, but hopefully some of these teaching tips will help us, you know, uh, dial in what will make it easier for everybody to have a good first enjoyable time. Awesome. Uh, well, I was going to say, too, one of the fun parts about playing Root you know, even a, a kind of next door to all the mechanical things that make it a good game is the theming is so enjoyable. It's so fun to step into this woodland world. And like, that was one of the things that initially got me on board is how cute and fun the theming is. It gives me a little bit of permission to be, you know, uh, go out and attack my friends if it's like in the context of a... An adorable woodland struggle. Listen, my murderers are cute, so you're going to have to just fall in love with them. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's funny. I appreciate your joy about this. Uh, I will say for full disclosure, we're recording this on February 23rd, 2021, which is the day that the Marauder expansion Kickstarter went live. As of the recording right now, they're at like, I think closing in on nine hundred thousand uh, dollars, which is I so hope impressive. it backs. <laughs> Thankfully, their goal was only a hundred thousand, so they're they're good. But when we were talking about it, Kyle was getting overjoyed at all the things that he hadn't known they were revealing, including there's like a now a minor faction that has a band. Yes, they're musicians. They're performers. <laughs> a traveling band. I'm so stoked. He's <laughs> playing a little wood flute. I can't wait to turn that against my friends in a bloodthirsty <laughs> contest of 30 victory points. Sam, you're holding... What yeah, is that? I, got, I just got some napkins here because I've been drooling all day over the new expansion, baby. Okay. Wait a second. I'm you a just did a visual comic. gag with a prop <laughs> that you've been holding on to for our podcast? <laughs> and that was the that was the joke because you've been drooling? <laughs> you guys... There is so much to like about this new expansion, okay? There are two new factions that both have higher reach. Yes, we have more army factions to help police the board as well oh, as wait, the- uh, Oh, wait. Oh, oh, hold on. What is reach? I don't oh, even think- Do God, people even don't know? get Sam started well, on reach. You can't get excited oh. about reach without explaining at least what- Because like, <laughs> even in the rule- If someone were to look up through all the rules, if they were to hit search, they would never find the word reach in the rule book, right? No, it's in the rule book. Oh, it is? I think so. I think oh, they codified maybe, it. I believe, yeah. Oh, yeah. Reach is a real thing. In fact, oh, I, I have this ladder here as a prop to demonstrate reach. You see it? No. Okay. So, Sam, um, get down. 
yeah, so Reach, I don't know, Kyle, how would you explain Reach? Reach is a value given to each faction that kind of assesses their strength in um, asserting control over the board. An example of a, a faction with a lot of reach is the cats, which we'll kind of talk about and rant about here in a minute. Uh, but the cats, they start with a meeple in every clearing, almost every clearing. And so their ability to impact the board is very high, as opposed to another faction with very low reach, like uh, the lizards or... The vagabond? Um, well, the vagabond is exactly is, is an example of a, a faction that should have super low reach, but it's bumped up slightly because it's just super powerful um but yeah essentially the vagabond can only influence one clearing at a time right. for the most part so it's it, so the rating is based on a faction's influence on changing the game state of the board not its relative strength in the game compared to other factions kind of yeah it's that plus a little bit of secret sauce alchemy that turns into a number it sounds like we're gonna need the whole episode for reach <laughs> probably yeah. okay great then i won't also, go down the rabbit hole on that and you don't need to, because with the new Marauder expansion, there's a whole advanced setup that basically takes the whole reach system and, and, and smooths out the edges, I would say. Okay, cool. Well, I'm very excited about this. We will talk more about the Marauder expansion as it gets closer to its actual release. When, when Actually, when is it getting released? It is being delivered January 2022. Oh, so we got plenty of time to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Also, though, the, the materials are already on the Discord. So the Woodland Warriors Discord, if you check the pins in Root Chat, you can access all the tabletop simulator files and play these new factions uh, as they're being developed, which is incredible that Leader Games would just, like, allow us to help. Whoa, you know, that's cool. Anyone can just you know, go to the discord and, and, and start play testing this stuff. Now that, that means these things could change. And, uh, I was around before the, uh, underworld expansion was released. I remember seeing those factions change, uh, over time. And, uh, what we ended up getting looked very different than what we got to play at the beginning, but it's just really fun to be involved. So if you guys so want to check open, out, so it's like an open beta. Yeah, essentially like you are just allowed to kind of print and play, uh, mm. either on Tabletop Simulator or they are releasing print-and-play files, I think, next week. So. Is that a link that I can put in the description of this podcast, or is that only yes. live on the Woodland Warriors Discord? For the print-and-play, there'll definitely be a link that you can do in the description. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I think for the other one might be pinned in chat. I'm not sure how links work with that. Okay, great. Edit this out. This was boring. No, say. not at all. I think that's actually <laughs> valuable. Um, next episode, we'll talk about links and how they work. Uh, before we get to how to play, or how to teach, I should say. Before we get to how to teach, let's also do a quick update on the tournament situation. We're going we're gonna to do this every once in a while as various tournaments come up that we either are participating in or hear about. And kind of let people know uh, what's going down in like the world of competitive route, which you two are both involved in yeah well with this uh last weekend the space cats peace turtles uh root tournament uh just finished and uh lily g took home the trophy she is the current root champion yes and go lily yeah it was an incredible game incredible two games um and i'm a little biased because she beat me in the semifinals. uh i got to 29 <laughs> points and lily g uh got the victory uh and so <laughs> And so you want to be beaten by the champion. That's that's yeah, always feels the, case. the best. 
Yeah. When she's up on the podium, you get a point on her and go, she got me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, uh, you know, although my streak ends, I think we're in good hands. Lily seems like a worthy champion. Those games were highly entertaining. And, she uh, nailed she- that last turn. So I'll put a link to the tournament videos that's on. I believe there's a playlist on Space Cat's uh, YouTube. Yeah. And uh, at the very least, you should watch the final game. Uh, her final turn in particular was very impressive. I'm, I'm always impressed by a strong root end game. It's something that I like to focus on in, in the videos that I make. You, a lot of the times it's like a, this is an end game board state, like start your turn, win the game. Mm-hmm. And uh, anytime somebody can do that in real life in a tournament context, like it's just super impressive because there's so much going on in your head during a high stakes game you know it's hard to keep your composure and analysis together all the time and it's just great to see someone as talented and worthy as lily take the take the crown yeah the end game of route two is so unpredictable in terms of like how it how it sometimes resolves because it can really go slow and be a foregone conclusion in a lot of cases. But when we have an ending like we did with the tournament where like she just swept up with a bunch of points kind of out of nowhere, at least seemingly from previous turns, that's always like the best story that we get to end with. I love that. Oh, it's, it's the best. That's so exciting. All right. Well, that's most of, or any other tournament updates, I guess. Uh, well, this is a special tournament because uh, Sam, you and I both played in the test version of this tournament back in 2020 and uh you famously won that that tournament outing famously is that statue still up or did they pull that down i'm using (laughs) my ladder right now to to make sure that it's still shining (laughs) (laughs) so this is the uh kind of like after the test tournament now this is the real implementation so to speak, of the of that tournament format. Uh, and Sam and I both participated again. Is it we 64 got, players or 128? or? Uh, I don't actually know what the full player count was. It was pretty high. It was like 64 players, oh, I think, right? Yeah, yep. yeah, it was 64 players. Uh, but Sam and I both made it to the semifinal round. We were both defeated right before going to the finals. Sam, you were defeated by Lily G, uh, eventual tournament champion, which is so cool. Uh, but yeah, we'll get him next time. Uh, who did you win with in your first tournament, Sam? Uh, my first game, I uh, beat Kyle head to head as the Vagabond, and then uh, I won as the Otters. Was my faction? I Ooh, won as. And yeah. then in my first, uh, my qualifying game of this one, I was the Moles. So I felt like I was just doing the best factions down the line, <laughs> and then I got to Birds, and that's where I was defeated. So. <laughs> And that's what she and that's what Lily won with was the eerie. Dynasty. Yep, yeah, yeah. Her uh, her right. and I's bird games looked actually remarkably similar, but uh, she won both of them. So <laughs> that just goes to show you, it's all that matters. Those thirty points. Well, let's talk about all that matters, which is how to teach this game to other people. So, kind of no matter who you are, whether you're super experienced at this game or whether you're brand new to it, uh, at some point you're going to need to teach it to other folks, or if you don't need to, you should consider doing it because it's a great game and we need more friends. Uh, This is a particular, as uh, Sam has mentioned, a particularly difficult game to to teach because of the nature of the asymmetry and the specifics of, 
I should say timing windows. It's not it's not as brutal of a game such as like, you know, Twilight Imperium, which is one we're always going to bring up as a comparison point, I feel, where timing windows are all over the place. And uh, while written very consistently, there's just wait, there's a ton of them. This game has so many components and pieces that we're going to try and break it down in an efficient way to teach the game, because I think we have to admit that, like, you can't teach, as we've talked about in a previous podcast, you can't teach this whole game in a session. I mean, you could. You could literally say everything, but people aren't going to retain it. So really, your uh, optimal strategy is to be the most efficient with the things that they're going to retain. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, yeah, giving yourself the break of not trying to absorb everything all at once is going to be huge. Um, and we're going to try to just, like, give you some, I don't know, tips on how to just... Uh, have the most enjoyable first time and how to get the most out of it. Some of our advice is going to be for like the ideal learning situation, but also just keep in mind what's uh, what's possible for your own group. Yeah. I mean, people learn in different ways. So if your group, uh, you know, lends itself more towards lore and the storytelling part, then you're as a teacher, you're going to want to highlight those things to make sure that they feel engaged and interested. Now, if you're a uh, you know, your group is really like focused on the conflict, then you're going to want to highlight those parts of the battle system or stuff like that. But so the, the important thing, we're going to tell you what we think our ideal game is, but always above anything, tailor it to your group to the way you think it's going to find the most success. And also know your group, I would say. Like, I think uh, all of us have made the mistake before of trying to teach too complicated of a board game to too disinterested of a party too late in the evening. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, yeah, and it's the worst. So uh, do, like, make a plan that everybody's kind of down for learning a complex game and okay with sitting in a little bit of the discomfort of not understanding everything and that you're really in it for fun not to and to eventually to tear each other apart. I have a question. Yeah. Do you guys advocate for uh, playgroups like learning games before they actually like get together? I do, but I don't always expect that of people, right? So like it kind of depends on who I'm asking to play with. If if like if they're all experienced gamers and I've played complex games with them before, I'll say, hey, y'all get familiar with the rules before we sit down so we don't have to do a big rules review. That said, you know, both Sam and I, and I think you, Kyle, too, we're all very comfortable teaching games in an efficient way, so... I don't think we'd ever force that upon anyone, but I think it's very helpful to do so. But if it's also a group that aren't very familiar with games, I'll take the responsibility of planning an extra 45 minutes to get through that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've personally found it very helpful to like watch a video or something before sitting down and like getting a heads up ahead of time about like what the game is. Um, I'm kind of a like, <laughs> I don't know, go getter of games, though. So yeah. I, I like you to your homework. familiarize a little bit. And that's a good place to like suggest people at least to get familiar with the bare bones of it is to like go watch a video and say it's okay if you don't get everything I can review it with you at the beginning of the game. Yeah, Absolutely. hearing it once in like a compressed way and then getting it in real life with other people mm -hmm. who are also learning it alongside. That's helped me in the past to be like I thought I understood this one rule but I really I realize now that I didn't and and hearing someone say it out loud again. Yeah. Uh, now it's sort of sunk in. That also reminds me, like, it's important to provide them with a resource because if you're just like, hey, please review the rules before we start, like, the rulebook for Root is a little intimidating with all of its index of entries and such. And I, <laughs> I would say that uh, it is actually a really well-crafted rulebook, but it's not the most inviting to learn the game by. It's kind of more of a procedural rulebook in terms of, like, this is how everything is laid out in this order, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But that being said, um, I guess this guide is probably more for 
you know, the person who wants to get a group together, sit down and set aside some time to learn a game of Root. Yeah, I was actually just talking to somebody on the Discord who found it was very easy for them to learn the game by playing the digital Steam app version of Root. Mm -hmm. Because that's going to definitely hold your hands in terms of you're not going to be able to make rules mistakes. The computer won't let you. Right? Yeah. Um, so I, I now that that resource is available, I, I would encourage people to do that, especially if you're a go-getter. If you're the Kyle of your group and you want to do the homework before showing up, uh, you know, uh, learning your faction on the digital version will help a lot, I think. The tutorial, as I recall, requires you to play through almost everybody, right? Or does it require you to play through everyone? There's a tutorial for each faction. Yeah. yeah. And that's a very – they were very good, as I recall. They were, they taught them by just forcing you to play the game, which is not something we can always do, right? Because it's like, well, we got to set up the game to play the game. But the benefits of the digital version is it could just set up scenarios for you and just say, all right, you're driving the car. I'm going to tell you what directions to take. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but say you're just playing like a good old-fashioned analog game of Root. <laughs> you've got, you know, all the pieces, you've got the board set up, your friends have gathered round. What, what's, what are some just like general tips for how to get started? Uh, I would say we should probably start with the snack situation, okay? People are going to be impatient. <laughs> They're going to, you're going to dump a lot of information on these people, and they should have a sugary treat, Okay. Uh, I know in our personal group, we highly, uh, uh, we recommend gummies, you know, just not, not special gummies, just normal run-of-the-mill gummies. Do not try to mix special gummies with learning root. <laughs> for, for the love of God, please do not. Because um, the art is yeah. too compelling. You will get lost. You will, we will lose you, and we can't. We can't afford to lose somebody. Well, you bring up a good point just about the comfort of... Uh, I guess food slash snacks and having those around like it is like learning a lot of stuff is is a little bit easier when you are in a comfortable situation so uh, yeah making sure your environment is great and snacks are a great way to do that yeah also some people you know really like the tactile stuff and lucky for them Root is a very tactile game the meeples are really fun to hold and to mess with so if if you already have assigned uh, you know which faction or which person is playing which faction go ahead and give them those fun little bird pieces to play with while you explain to them the kind of like turn structure and all that right you're treating them like a toddler but it's so valid like it's so true it's like put it in their hands like here you go hold on to this now i'm gonna teach you what it does i teach board games to kids and <laughs> yeah they learn fast when i do that also yeah. uh kids are w way better at learning board games than adults yeah yeah kids soak <laughs> up information so well and they yeah. they spend all their day learning anyway so they're ready they're like prepped to learn and mm -hmm. i think i think putting it in their hands is great i i think that's a great idea and also if you're teaching this to kids uh it's good to give them the pieces so they can have some responsibility on them as opposed to them just patiently waiting while you list it all out i think that's a great Tactic. Yeah, we do have a friend, you know, we always have a friend in our group. I'm not talking about a specific person. This is a general thing that as soon as they get like cards in their hand, they're going to interrupt your teach with like, what does this do? OK, uh. maybe if you know your group, maybe don't give them the pieces. You know what I mean? <laughs> These are all we have to know your group. You got to know what's going to work. So if there's somebody who, you know, interrupts the teach with a couple too many questions, maybe don't give them the cards yet. Yeah, Troy. 
Like if there's three <laughs> people at the table, you can give it to those two of those people, but you can't give it to Troy because he's just going to interrupt yeah. you too much. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. Yeah, you can hold the meeples, but you can't have the cards. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what's an ideal setup beyond snacks, right? So we're talking four players because that's kind of the optimal way to play this game right now. You can play with less, but it's kind of a better way to teach how everything interacts, right? Yeah, and I think that uh, the problem with like five or six, especially, I just think is the downtime. Especially mm-hmm. in learning this game, there might just be too much downtime with that high of a player count. Yeah, there's not a lot of things to do on other players' turns like there are in other games. That's true. Right. All right, so let's talk about it. We got our four players. Here, here are here are our recommendations for your first game. Okay, I would I would suggest playing on the autumn map. Uh, just because the autumn map the, is the base map from the base game. The base. Yep, yep. There are okay. two uh, maps in the base game. It is the one that looks like autumn as opposed to winter. Um, it also has fixed clearing suits. It's the only map that has like, you know, this clearing is always going to be a rabbit clearing, right? Um, and because it's a stable distribution of clearing suits, um, that I think will be the most friendly for a, 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 a first time player, someone who might not who might make a mistake, but because the clearings aren't going to punish them too bad, they're going to be okay. They're also balanced, right? They're spread out in a kind of even distribution on that map, right? Because you can get, with all the other maps, because they're randomly distributed, you can get some crazy assortments of things in different corners, right? Right, and that actually helps certain factions. Some factions want clearings that are more bunched together, but Mm -hmm. uh, not necessarily the factions we're going to suggest you start with. Okay. Yeah, you just kind of want everything to be as vanilla and stable as possible when you're learning it. So that once things get more randomized and a little more kind of surprising and chaotic later on, that that is sort of enhancing the experience as opposed to being a frustrating obstacle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. With that being said, I would also suggest just using the base deck. The Exiles and Partisans deck is probably objectively better and more interesting for the game of Root. But uh, there's just a couple cards that are going to make people go, Oh, what? <laughs> and the base deck is pretty uh, straightforward. Um, unfortunately, the cards are a little expensive to craft, which doesn't really show off the crafting system as well as I'd want to show a new player. The cards in the base deck, you mean? Yeah, the cards in the base deck, they're, they're, uh, just, they tend to be a little bit more expensive to craft than the cards in the Exiles of Partisans deck. But I think that uh, simplicity is going to win out that kind of uh, give and take there. So if you're one of those uh, players um, who actually has just recently learned the game and maybe not even gotten your first playthrough yet, some of these concepts that we're talking about are in relation to the expansion. So you might have the base game and not even know that there are multiple decks or even know what what is it, the Partisans and what? Exiles and Partisans Ex- deck. Exiles and Partisans deck, uh, or that there are other maps beyond the, with the autumn and winter. So the expansion, I'll try and clarify for certain things, uh, but you should know the game pretty well. We're not actually teaching you how to play the game. We're teaching you how to teach the game. Uh, but for clarification, the Exiles and Partisans deck is, uh, uh, I guess, half errata, half new cards deck, right? That replaces the base deck from one of the expansions, correct? Yeah, it replaces the base deck. I mean, you can play with either. It's just like a map. You can choose which deck to play with. Um, But yeah, I think that there's just a lot of things that make the Exiles and Partisans deck just kind of objectively more interesting. Uh, And don't worry, guys. We'll do a whole deep dive Mm -hmm. on each of the decks at some point and all this. But uh, for now, I think just for your first game, just, just go with the base deck. Great, great. 
That brings us to which factions we should choose for our first game. Now, unfortunately, there is no vanilla faction in Root. There is no baseline. Everyone is an exception to most of the rules. So uh, which ones we're going to start with, it, it can be pretty important. Um, the the like learn-to-play guide would probably just suggest the base factions, and I think I'd agree... Uh, except for maybe if you have all the expansions for some reason and you're teaching this game, you know, uh, I maybe the Crows instead of the Woodland Alliance. I've just found that new players can kind of get a little discouraged when playing the Woodland Alliance and not having, like, a lot of warriors on the board as opposed to the other players. Um, yeah, that's totally true, yeah. And especially amongst... So the, the kind of base four factions, the Cats, the Eerie, the Woodland Alliance, and the Vagabond... Of those four, the Woodland Alliance starts with nothing on the map, and that can just be a bit puzzling slash discouraging to someone who's new to the game and wants to be involved and stuff. And uh, also the Woodland Alliance relies on a little bit of experience to be effective, and when you're playing your first game, you won't have that kind of benefit. And so I, I actually totally support playing with the Corvid Conspiracy, uh, substituting in for the Woodland Alliance in your in your teach. I think that's a, a really great thing to do if, if you've got the expansions. Yeah, for those of you that don't have the expansions and still feel like, oh no, I have to teach the Woodland Alliance, don't be scared. They're still very playable as your first game, but as Kyle mentioned, the discouraging factor of not having anything on the board can be intimidating for a new player. So give it to your most resilient friend and then also let them know that like the mechanics of the revolt are so specific with how you have to get there. That's a very key component to teaching them. So make sure they understand how they get their base online. After that, they're free to explore the strategy, but if you can at least get them to understand how to get their ball rolling, that will make that person a little more comfortable. So true. Yeah. Let's talk about like what, where you should assign these factions amongst your friends, because I think it's better than letting people choose. It might be better to be like, this will be more, more your play style, and you should try them because you'll like them, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Root suggests that you give the cats to the least experienced player. I think this is a huge mistake. The cats player has to deal with so much going on at the table that it is not the one to give to the least experienced player. Um, I I have here a, a, a list of who should play what, and I say that your friend that is really good at other games should play the cats. Mm. I think one of the suggestions that Leader says is that you should play the cats first, but really what they mean is that the cats are similar to other games that are kind of in the war game genre, mm -hmm. right? If you have a friend that, can, that plays Twilight Imperium all the time, yeah, you can give them the cats. That's not going to be too big of a deal for them. Or if any of those other kind of like war games or like you, even like StarCraft, if they're obsessed, you know, just the idea of like your buildings get you more resources to get you more buildings, uh, then I think you can be okay. But the fact that the cats have to worry about ruling connected clearings in order for their wood to move through it is just such an extra responsibility that no other player is going to have to deal with. Yeah, they have to uh, they have to understand ruling in a different way, I guess, right? Because it affects them more? Yeah, and I just feel like they're they're so fragile at trying to achieve that. Even in advanced play, you see that the cats can struggle. And it's because the the margins are so thin for their success. Um so I think that giving that to a new player can I, I I, I wouldn't suggest it. 
unless that person is experienced in other games. So who would you give uh, to the new player? The the person that's like barely uh, showing up to the table and we're like really trying to convince to come into the heavier end of the board game swimming pool. Mm-hmm. I would give them either the crows because that's like kind of like a fun social deduction kind of tricking game yeah. to play. And they move regardless of rule, so you don't have to worry about this like extra movement situation. Yeah, they're a little freer in some ways, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Or the Vagabond, for those same reasons, about moving around. And I just think a new player can be like, I use my sword to attack. I use my boot to move. Now, there's lots of like edge case things with the Vagabond that they're not going to know. And if you're teaching the game, you will have to be on top of teaching them and probably keeping an eye on their relationship tracker and all the other complicated things that have to do with uh, the Vagabond. Uh, But the basic concepts of the Vagabond are actually really easy for a new player to grasp onto. Yeah, and a lot of the times in your first game of Root, encountering those edge cases is a bit less likely. I feel like I don't know anybody who would be putting the pedal to the metal with the Vagabond on their first play of a game of Root. It's really not even about that, so... Yeah, anyone who's a bit timid about getting into the, you know, world of Root or into, yeah, the kind of deeper end of that swimming pool, the Vagabond is a great choice. I remember, Sam, when we uh, were at the the same first game for Rachel, uh, Rachel played the Vagabond and did great and had a super fun time. Yeah, it's it's the only faction I can get my wife to play. Uh, she <laughs> she will she will play the Vagabond every once in a while. If it's like, if everyone's coming over to play Root and she wants to see everybody, she's like, okay, fine, I'll play the Vagabond. Yeah. <laughs> I have a question though regarding this because like, I feel like the Vagabond is also one of the more intimidating in terms of all of the mechanics that don't seem to initially go together, right? They have quests which are kind of separate from their item management, which is kind of separate from their alliance management, right? Like those feel like three separate little mini games in some ways. And they also don't yeah. fight the same way. No, yeah, they they are the exception to all the rules, but <laughs> I think a, a new player that's not trying to learn all the rules, you uh, know, doesn't kind of have to worry about that as much. They're so like, what point. can I do? And as long as you have facility over uh, what the Vagabond can and can't do and feel comfortable... Uh, kind of fielding a lot of questions mid-game, you can get them rolling faster. Okay, okay. That makes sense. Thank you. Great. Next, for your, I guess, your brainy and your most organized of friends? is the birds. (laughs) Anyone who enjoys uh, programming in real life or like a programming game is going to kind of appreciate how the birds, you know, uh, uh, mechanic works of programming your actions. Um, it's just a really fun faction, too, if you're ready for your whole bird government to collapse a couple times in your <laughs> first game. Um, Jake, you said that this was the faction you played first, so I'd be interested to hearing what was successful or not successful about the person who taught you the birds, unless that was you. I think I had to teach myself the birds. Um, I remember I actually wasn't familiar with programming games as a concept when I first tried them. So I didn't really see them that way until at the end of the game, I guess. <laughs> but I, I once I understood how they worked, and I turmoiled only a couple of times, but once I understood how they worked, I was very fascinated by it. But, like, I was so jealous of the cats the whole time because, like you said, I'm familiar with, like, StarCraft or, like, I'm familiar with Twilight Imperium. Build your buildings, build your army move out and murder like uh the 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 cats or the excuse me the birds are so like mass up and do what you can 
during this time was so uh, just let the bowling ball roll down the hill kind of situation. And it was <laughs> it was fun. It was intimidating. But I liked it. Like cool. also like it's it has, you have to have a resilient friend for this because someone who can take a little disappointment because the whole concept oh, of yeah. turmoiling feels catastrophic. It's not as bad as it looks, but like when you have seven cards out and then suddenly you're told that you have to discard them and your leader and you have to start all over with your with your plan, that feels like soul crushing. But in reality, that's kind of the natural order of things, uh, you know, pun not intended in terms of how the birds fl- fly. Man, a lot of puns in there. And losing points is is so stressful, you know. Yeah, that was the other part. I I remember losing points and being like, "Am I the only person that loses points?" And someone said, "Yes." <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> so then, I guess who should play the Woodland Alliance? Those you, the most resilient of friends, those who can take <laughs> perseverance. Yeah, yeah, your patient friend, I wrote. Your 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 friend that can really just knows my time will come and <laughs> it will it will be a while. Because it I, I I still experience this frustration with the Woodland Alliance where it's like it takes me forever to get my warriors out on the board and then once I do, I don't I don't even care about ruling or battling, really, with those warriors. It's about establishing, and, you mean? And like staying established. Yeah, well, yeah, and it's like spreading sympathy. Yeah. The whole game is spreading sympathy, and and for me, I get like I want like I want like a bunch of guys to move around and fight. <laughs> My thing though is like I feel like the Woodland Alliance is the most fun in the early games before everybody's good at it because otherwise people just shut down your sympathy so quickly in yes. better games, and I've I think. I think my most vivid memory of that is Kyle doing it to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Woodland Alliance, they, they can score really explosively near the end of the game. They can jump up to a, like a crazy amount of points. And so, yeah, having your patient friend, having your friend who's comfortable with a slow burn kind of faction um, playing the Woodland Alliance. Like, I actually think it's it's a great first game of Root if the Woodland Alliance like wins in a crazy oh, kind of way at the yeah. end. Because that kind of requires everybody to have done something kind of big in some way for them to get in that position, right? Usually, yeah. yeah. And it's also really fun just to be like, wow, you weren't even on the board for most of this game, and then you just still won. Like, that was crazy. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's get into the teaching, the teaching of the teaching of this game. <laughs> like, right. uh, these are all suggestions <laughs> for, like, how to get started. Let's let's get into it. So, yeah, once once everyone has been assigned their factions and is seated at the table and they're playing with the, you know, cool, like, meeples and tokens and stuff, it's, it's best... To kind of get people in the right mindset for a game or root, and to sort of start to engage with that theming, um, at least for me, I found it really compelling to to sort of start to hook into the, what the theme is. So uh, yeah, throw on some instrumental like folky music. <laughs> um, the Fichters is a, a duo of brothers who make music that's great for playing board games. Uh, so that's my recommendation: is throw on Inns and Taverns by the Fighters. It's their best <laughs> album. Best album by the Fighters. I will put a link to the Fighters in Spotify as well. You're uh, welcome, listeners. <laughs> You're welcome, Fighters. They don't need our help. They've released like literally 13 albums a year. The, like, yeah, they released insane. a lot. Yeah, you guys first introduced me to them for sure. Uh, the other part of the environment is those gummy snacks that Sam mentioned, and apparently I guess I'm now realizing how thematic it is because you guys are just slurping up worms if you're playing the birds. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Some gummy worms or some bears for the forest. <laughs> um, so then 
everyone's happy with their sugary treats <laughs> and we're going to explain the the core concepts here now uh we've got our list of core concepts and this has kind of uh been done before there's many great resources on the woodland warrior discord in the root chat pins of how to teach this game and uh, a, a lot of this is is similar to that as well so uh, the first thing that a lot of people want to know about when they sit down to play a board game is how do you win? All right. And in Root, you got to explain it's the first to 30 victory points. And the way we get points is through certain cards, destroying certain enemy pieces, and every faction using their kind of inherent, special, unique scoring mechanic. Okay. Oh, you know, I've never phrased it that way. I've always been like different factions score in different ways. But I like the way you've laid it out into three things, which is you can get points by playing certain cards, by destroying certain enemy pieces, and then your own unique way. That's a really good way of laying that out. Yeah, because some uh, factions rely more heavily on the kind of like global scoring, like crafting and battling. And other factions are more reliant on just making sure they're doing their own weird specific faction scoring right what comes to mind is like the otters need to find other points they have 18 points uh that they can do from themselves from trade posts but then they're going to need to craft or battle those last 12 points assuming they can even get all their trade posts out right so explaining the victory condition and then explaining kind of like boom look at this map okay the map has clearings and paths and forests, okay? Those are the three areas of the map, okay? There's 12 clearings. They're connected by paths. You can't stop in a path. Uh, forests only for the Vagabond, okay? And then explaining how everyone's personal components, their warriors or a pawn in the case of a Vagabond, and the difference between buildings and tokens, Okay. Buildings contributing to rule, tokens not so much. Now, the reason you're highlighting these three things, warriors slash pawns, buildings, and tokens, is that uh, they are common amongst all the factions and that everybody's got buildings, tokens, and, and warriors slash a pawn. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Everyone, everyone's interacting with this map through paths and, and clearings. Everyone has their personal components. And uh, and the cards are going to be a shared resource. Is this a good time um, to mention the clearing suit as well, or should you should you hold off on that? I would I would say yeah, the clearings have suits. Um, and then when you're highlighting the cards, say hey, look, it's the same suits except for there's another one. It's bird, and that's because birds are wild. Yeah, yeah, which save, is always. I was gonna say yeah, save the birds for when you can show it off because like make them think there's three, but then there's a gift of the wild later on, right? Right, yeah, and that'll help pe cement in people's minds. They're like, wait, where's the bird clearing? And you're like, birds are wild, which is my favorite rule to say in Root, is birds are wild. <laughs> well, then actually, that's, so right after components, that's what you would explain next, is the cards and that, how the cards work. Yeah, yeah, so those are all the common components. And then we kind of get into what are the common actions. We're just trying to build a base right now of everything we all use in the game. So uh, the common actions you can take are moving and that has to do with rule so i would explain rule first in that uh you know it's warriors plus buildings uh as a concept you rule a clearing uh most factions are going to need to rule to build um and movement has to do with rule and then turn to your vagabond or crows player and say don't worry about this part right <laughs> uh well hold on uh let's so how do you lay this out though like 
I understand all of what you said in terms of the things you need to cover in this section, but like, how does one explain that uh, movement is kind of different for everybody how they activate it, but the action is the same. And it's always dependent upon, let's see, it's always dependent upon you ruling either your location or your destination. That's correct. Okay. I guess that I, did I just explain it? I don't know. Did I answer my own question? (laughs) I don't, I'm asking like, I I think that's a lot of information. I don't know the most efficient way to say it. It is. And it's easy to get bogged down in this, uh, this exact kind of like, fine definition as well. Mm -hmm. That's why starting with kind of teaching what rule is and making that the sort of basis on which you build the movement action helps to kind of clean this up a little bit. So if you just say, whoever has the highest presence in a clearing rules that clearing, Mm -hmm. and then you have to be, then you can be like, okay, so for movement, you have to rule the clearing you're moving from or the clearing you're moving into. Yeah. And as soon as you prism it through rule, that's that's a, a really good way to give like a concrete foundation for and presence is uh, counted by all of that faction's pieces combined right or does that not include tokens it does not include tokens just warriors and buildings, and buildings. okay yep. yeah yeah, I, yeah and i would show many examples of legal moves and illegal moves because i think people go like oh wait i got a rule it's going to sound so limiting but you show that it's like oh you don't rule the place you're going to but you rule here so you can move from here wherever you want and, and then just showing like oh this guy he seems stranded but you guys you actually have some cats over here he could just go join those guys so just showing all the ways that movement it isn't actually as restrictive as it, as it sounds initially yeah, and rule as a concept is easy to forget after they start learning all the other things they're going to learn in the next 45 minutes. So it'll be a good thing to remind them of. Like, if it's okay if you feel like you've sufficiently explained it now, just remember this is one they're probably going to need to be reminded of when they're, like, so excited about their strategy on turn four and then you have to crush their dreams of a 10-point turn because they actually don't rule that clearing that they want to move to to do that awesome <laughs> Oh, yeah, that that sounds like an example out of true life right there. <laughs> I mean, we've all been through it, right? Where you're like you're you finally get your friend really enthusiastic about the game and they're so excited about this big move. And they're like, ooh, but it's the strategy phase, my friend. I'm sorry. You've missed your opportunity. <laughs> like, I feel it hurts so much. You see the look on their face like, well, now I hate this game. It's like, no, no. <laughs> All right, so movement and rule. I think, yeah, establishing those, that at least gets everybody understanding where they can be and where they can go on the map. What's another common action? Let's talk about battle, baby. (laughs) Uh, Battling is really clean in Root, and you should mention that uh, battling is something that people should feel like they can do. Uh, It's not like something where you're going to lose everything, but you choose your moments wisely. But basically, battle as a thing is that the attacker rolls both of the die and gets to use the higher one with the Woodland Alliance Alliance as the exception there. Um, And then uh, explaining that uh, just because you roll, uh, you know, that warriors cap your max amount of hits. I think that's an important concept. Uh, So if, if you roll a three, but you only have two warriors, you can only do a maximum of two damage. And then uh, kind of talking about how uh, uh, warriors uh, versus buildings and how buildings don't contribute to the attack or defense in any way. In fact, their removal means points, which is basically the main mechanism of why you're going to battle is trying to remove cardboard. It's so interesting the way you phrase it of like cardboard versus tokens versus buildings because 
both buildings and tokens are made from cardboard in, in the case of the tactile game, right? But, like, buildings count towards presence where tokens don't, and the removal of either of them, of, to- of uh, cardboard, both contribute to points. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so specific. Yeah, it sounds confusing, but it's literally just, like, look around the board, find all the examples of things that are made of cardboard. Those are going to get you points, my friend. Yeah, you see these like wooden meeples, like they just are in the way of the cardboard that gets you the points. That's a good way of phrasing that. You're going to want to like hack through all these warriors in order to get to, or you're going to want to keep a bunch of warriors around your cardboard to prevent other players from just scoring a bunch of points. Because the cardboard is fragile. The warriors are strong. It feels lighter in your hand. You know, it's a a lot thinner and more delicate looking. So tactile lessons. I like this. Mm hmm. Yeah, and this rule is just one of the universal rules of Root, which is when you remove cardboard, you score a point. When the Vagabond explores a ruin and removes that ruin token from the map, that scores him a point. So that's why uh, we've always just used that word cardboard, because it actually helps with some of the other fringe cases of the game as well. It's very helpful. I've never used that word uh, cardboard, and I'm so glad you guys call it that because now I'm going to start doing that, and that is very helpful. That changes it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, and that and that helps us distinguish, right? Um, also, making sure that they understand that warriors always protect the buildings. You can't just like assign, you know, assign your hits to uh, the the cardboard, even though there's warriors in that clearing. Um, you're going to have to explain the concept of a defenseless token, which I think people will generally understand that if no one's there, you're going to get a free hit on it. So that way, if you roll zero, zero, doesn't matter. You're going to take it out anyway. A free hit. Um, also it, it also like it plus one's your roll is what you mean by that. Right. So if you get one, you get two. Yep. Yep. You deal an extra hit. Okay. Got it. And then, uh, just pointing out the fact that ambush cards exist. I think is an important thing to mention while you're talking about battle. Yeah, and the fact that they don't have to be crafted, they can just be played, unlike basically every other card in the game. Right. Which is like, these are special cases where you can swing a battle in your favor or mm-hmm. surprise your opponent who's attacking you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a yeah, way Yeah, it's of, one of the uh, few cards that's played as a reaction. Is it the only card that's played as like a reaction? Yes. Yeah. Everything else has like a cost, right? That you have Exactly. To... Everything else you have to craft in order to uh-huh. use its triggered ability, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Yeah, it's probably tempting to once you start showing cards to start delving into cards at this point, but I think it's good to just explain the concept of an ambush card specifically in the in the context of battling and just say this is a factor to be considered on certain things. And I think it ties in nicely to introduce ambush cards here because Ambush cards are suited, and you play them when you get attacked in a certain clearing that has the same suit. So it's just another good way to kind of reinforce that, like, suited card kind of nature of root. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that the bird ambush is extra special. It's a wild one. You know, it doesn't matter what the clearing is. Birds are wild. Bird ambush, any battle. Okay. Yep. And you can use that, uh, you know, that fact that we just started looking at these ambush cards to start going into the next concept we're going to talk about, which is crafting. Crafting is essentially playing a card, but it has a crafting cost. Um, And then this is the thing that I would make sure to make eye contact with each one of my new players and say, but notice that the crafting cost is not always the same suit as the card itself. 
and then show many examples of a card that costs two rabbits to craft, but is a fox-suited card. That's a good point that I hadn't considered, because you you say that because people accidentally look at the suit instead of the cost? A hundred percent. That will happen 100% of your first games. <laughs> I haven't really experienced that, but I totally believe it. I do... I do see that confusion happening for sure i love that you point that out that's a really good that's a really good idea and i guess do you also make contact with each person and tell them that they specifically craft in a certain way or do you hold off on that until the faction explanations uh yeah i think i would say like we're all going to craft in different ways some of us use our buildings some of us use our tokens the vagabond uses a hammer maybe i just like lightly say it just so we're like Mm -hmm. familiar yeah. But I wouldn't I wouldn't spend time on each faction sheet and like talk about yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't wanna you don't wanna diverge too much from your set path a little bit. You don't wanna uh you don't wanna tangent too much from your chosen topic. Otherwise it can get confusing for people who are still trying to grasp the concept that you were originally talking about. If you go too far off the the beaten trail there and start talking about specifics, uh it's easy to get lost. Absolutely. Maybe while you got the deck of cards out, it's probably worth talking about dominance at that time as well. Kyle, would you tell us a little bit about dominance? Yeah, dominance is it's pretty much about the point during the teach when players are like, wait, what? There's some ultimate <laughs> yeah. win conditions. So for me, I just wanted to I, I like to start out talking about dominance cards by being like, hey, these exist. This is a different way to win the game. And it replaces you getting 30 victory points with ruling three clearings of the suit that's on the card. And basically just say that this is a really rare situation, that this doesn't happen often, but it exists so that you can't, uh, you know, just go for a, a race kind of thing. Uh, sometimes people can beat you if you're heading for 30 points. Sometimes people can beat you by ruling three clearings. So never, uh, never let your guard down. Is it wise to explain to people that, like, they're going to draw this card and they can still like play it as a card. But when it gets discarded, it goes into an open pool where anybody can theoretically grab it. Yeah. You just mentioned to people like, Hey, when this hits the discard pile, just set it aside in its own area. It's going to now be public. Anyone can grab it by discarding a card. Yeah. I guess I I wonder if people, if you over, I guess if you over explain the viability, uh, the viability of it being an alternative win condition, will they feel pressured to not play it? Cause they think it's better than it is. They will think it's better than it is. That's yeah, probably that's going to happen. Yeah. They th- it exists. So people are going to want to try it. Yes. Okay. And it's, I just feel like it's important to say like this exists. Don't feel like you have to go for this. Mm-hmm. If, it, if it pops up in your hand, Mm-hmm. Because just remember, once you discard it, it's available forever for everybody. Right. So, mm-hmm. like, you know, don't don't stress. If if at a certain point in the game you feel like this is actually going to be a thing, it's probably going to be there. So go for it then. And when it comes up in your first game, maybe make a big show of it hitting the discard and say, this is now up here so people know. So they're kind of reminded of its presence. Exactly. There's not really a, a great need to delve deeply at all into Dominance Victories during your first game. Mm-hmm. Just mention it and then say, like, when this comes up, We'll demonstrate. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. for the most part, don't worry about dominance in your first game. Yeah. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Lightly touch on it. Totally agree. But I also wouldn't say don't downplay it either. Um, I think like a lot of those early lessons you might learn in a game of Root have to do with stopping somebody from achieving a dominance victory. Eventually, mm. you'll find out it's pretty easy to do, and therefore, you probably shouldn't go for dominance most of the time. But in those early games, you don't. 
you don't know how to problem solve as well. And so that challenge is actually a good one yeah. for the for a learning player to t- handle. <sighs> That's such a good point, Sam. Part of the the way to fall in love with Root is to test the kind of like limits and, and test the available avenues of how to play. And so, yeah, maybe discouraging somebody from playing a dominance card in the first game might not have the effect that you want it to have. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's a really fun game when you realize that someone's about to win. And so you have to work together mm-hmm. as a table to stop them. <laughs> yeah. The tension automatically ramps up when someone takes a dominance <laughs> card and they're like, okay, oh, yeah. I win next turn. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Ah! yeah. Um, all right, moving on. Uh, so faction specific info now, right? Yeah, now now everyone refill the the gummy snacks guys because <laughs> we're going to as the teacher you're basically going to have to go around to each individual and kind of go through each person's order of operations uh going over the turn structure. I mean, you might point out to everyone everyone has a bird song in a daylight and an evening. And that's the last we're talking about commonalities in the game of root, I think. <laughs> We uh, then just go into the specifics, you know, making sure everyone understands how they score uniquely, how they craft, um, and kind of the importance of uh, different game aspects to them. For instance, ruling a clearing might be super important for the Eerie, whereas uh, it's definitely not a big thing for the Woodland Alliance, except for with move. Sam, do you think this this is a good time to have everyone flip over their player board and start to start the setup or should that wait until the, the the teach person has gone all the way around i actually you know i think that's good kyle i actually think uh actually having the person come in and help set up um and give advice maybe if there are choices to be made and set up uh, i'm thinking specifically about where cat should put their initial buildings if you if you're an experienced player and can give any uh help to that i i would suggest doing stuff like that and like birds choosing what the charismatic leader first for early re- uh, recruiting or like the vagabond, maybe certain vagabonds are better than others for a first game. Right. Yeah. Yeah. For a first game, I'd probably go with thief if I was a vagabond and I'd probably go with despot. I'd, I, I'm, I'm going to say a hundred percent recommendation of despot as your first leader of the Eerie. Definitely. And then if you're teaching someone wooden alliance, you just pat them on the back and you say, good luck. Yeah, uh, you're gonna win the game, but I'm not gonna talk to you for the next hour and a half. Probably, you know what I mean. Um, I well, I yeah. want to back up real quick. You said we're gonna talk about bir- we're gonna mention the turn structure of Birdsong Daylight Evening, and then not mention it again. But like to me, I feel that the specifics of the way they lay out your turn order is really helpful for understanding what you do on your turn because they they it's the one of the clearest parts of their design which is just you follow the instructions and you have to follow them in that order so your strategy relies on the timing of those things you there are certain things you are restricted from doing because they come after where you might want to do them if that makes sense yeah yeah i I think that's right it's sometimes helpful to have everyone follow while you talk to the cats player about their turn order since the cats player has the most simplified Mm -hmm. uh kind of like order of operations of any of the factions and it's the most a1 turn order thing uh especially when it's like okay birdsong your sawmills make wood tokens and then to show like all right so you would just take this wood token place it at the sawmill and then it's there and then crafting and then the three actions it's just a good chance to see kind of 
how this would play out. So you'd be like, okay, so you could move here. You could battle. You could build a building. And then everyone will have their own sort of special flavor on on that, like what that means. So then if you move to the birds, for instance, you could be like, okay, well, you can also build during your turn. Mm-hmm. It, it just happens right at this step. In this order. Always. Yeah. Okay, cool. Great. So we've taught everybody their turn order, and we've taught them the basics of their mechanics like do you teach the cats first and then go down the line yeah i would i would set up and and explain uh those two things and i just kind of highlight everyone's special abilities you know just like hey guys just so you know eerie always wins when they're tied for rule they are considered to rule a clearing where they are tied for rule so if you're if you you know that's something to keep in mind or the fact that when you attack the woodland alliance they get the higher die in defense. That is something you're going to want to point out to somebody before they attack them. The Eerie Dynasty ones is a good example to play a example out on the board and say, you know, here's a Woodland Alliance army and here's a Marquis army that the same size. Neither of them rule because they tie. Here is also an Eerie army the same size as both of them. The Eerie rules because they break ties, right? And showing yep. that. Um, whereas the Woodland Alliance bonus, like, let them have their secrets. <laughs> let oh, no. them I mean, I'm not saying don't tell them you should 100% announce it but I'm just <laughs> saying like that's a fun little surprise when they finally get out there it's like also yeah no um, need to actively demonstrate that one but just sort of mention <laughs> oh yeah the example will be made yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 and the fact that like the vagabond can move regardless of rule oh also about the Woodland Alliance um, mention that the Woodland Alliance can blow everything up in a clearing mm-hmm. maybe yeah. That might be something that everyone needs to know is that their cute little like sympathy fists are ticking time bombs <laughs> and landmines for cards in your hand. I'm I'm just angry at the Woodland Alliance, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, just, just so that everyone has a flavor of everyone's capabilities. Same thing if the crows are in the game, mention the plots, of course. So um, I feel like, okay, so I feel like in terms of cats, the eerie and the Woodland Alliance from from being familiar with their boards as like a, a, a moderately experienced root player i feel pretty comfortable teaching those but i really still am kind of stumped on explaining vagabond in a complete way because vagabond plays uh i mean everybody plays uniquely so i don't even know what that statement is worth but like <laughs> the, vagabond plays so specifically to uh, a different mechanic than anybody else you know like questing or you just mean that they're the exception to so I think many specifically rules? the hostility track is really the whole like after you explain the difference between exhausting damaging and refreshing all of those items th- and and how they are different in that they have one warrior that they move around all the time that cannot die but uh gets its economy damaged by taking hits uh also you have an allegiance track it's like that's a whole nother concept that also the other players kind of have to be aware of right yeah yeah well in their first game i'm not sure if sorry hold on i'm gonna let my dog out hold on (laughs) i need to know sam how do you teach the vagabond kyle any insights yeah i would say that for the vagabond the the one thing to always keep in mind with the vagabond is that its rules are logical to itself it's sort of a little self-contained universe which is why it's good for your friend who's not very confrontational or for your friend who's a little hesitant to play. Because it's just like, like, you don't have to worry about rule. You don't have to worry about the like number of warriors or the you know placement of this or that. You carry your whole universe just on your back as the Vagabond. You just like 
boop around to the different clearings and just do stuff with your items. See, you have a very sweet and sympathetic uh, face when you're describing this because we're on a video chat right now and I see your sympathy for that and you even encourage like that we have the newer sweeter players play the vagabond but what you said in one of our first recordings was please <laughs> attack the vagabond you, you can never let the vagabond get out of the opening of a game of root without getting punched in the face <laughs> If you do, then you are a traitor to every other You know your player. non-confrontational no, friend? <laughs> Bloody their lip before they get established. <laughs> no, no, in the first game, I, this is the thing, is you have to learn this yeah. lesson over many yeah. games of Root. And that's and it's not immediately obvious that you should do that. You yeah. should attack the Vagabond early on. So that's, it's, that's why I included it as a golden rules of Root. <laughs> you make a good point, Kyle. Like, applying the logic of what they are doing helps a person understand it. And that's what's so brilliant about this game design is the, the makers really did a good job of, like, laying out what the Empire slash faction does as a concept and, and then the mechanics of that feed into that story, right? Like with the Woodland Alliance, they gain sympathy from the Woodland uh, creatures. And once they have enough sympathy, they overthrow all of the soldiers in there. And then the common folk rise up out of nowhere. And some of those common folk get promoted to a military position, though they were just a common warrior before. And then because they are military tacticians, then they can open up a whole new world of options that are military in nature. Whereas before they were just limited to uh, spreading flyers around, right? Yeah. Oh, even the fact that the Woodland Alliance, uh, all of their military actions have to happen in evening, you know, oh, is yeah. so thematic, mm. right? Like that these and like, I think honestly, the birdsong daylight evening things could be a confusing concept for new players because you think like, oh, it's the morning phase. So we all take a morning phase and then we all take a day phase, right? You would yeah. think that's kind of how it works, but it doesn't. Mm -hmm. Everyone does their things on their own day, I guess. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> so that could be a confusing concept. So, but, it, but it, how certain uh, factions battle at different times or whatever, that can help tell those stories. Cool. Okay. Well, that's really helpful. I think, yeah, understanding the logic of it is very, uh, is very key, right? Uh, anything specific you want to say about uh, the Corvid conspiracy? Cause you did mention them as a suggested first faction. Yeah. I just think that uh, because they're an exception to a couple rules and I think more people are familiar with like uh, social deduction games or like bluffing games, uh, as a concept, I think the crows will be just easier for people to latch on to. Um, they're not a very competitive faction, um, but I think in early plays, they might actually perform pretty decently. What do you mean so, by not very competitive? I, at the highest level, I think there's like some some easy holes to poke in a, a, in a crow strategy, but I don't think that those things are going to be something you have to worry about in your first game. Okay. The main thing that I'd point out about the crows is compare them to the Marquise because their daylights are really similar in a lot of ways. You still have the menu of actions. You can choose any like two or three of those to do. Uh, and there's in some ways the, the Corvids have a lot in common with the cats. So trying to cement those things that we all have in common, mm -hmm. I feel like helps players to learn the game faster. That's a good idea. Uh, and so that's a little shortcut for the crows as well. Okay. So ideally, this is the point where you've actually kind of explained everything that's the core concepts of the game, right? Like at this point now, however long it took to get across all those factions, the faction description section is our most variable, right? Like depending on your group, they might understand it at some level of depth or not. But at some point, 
uh, it's going to be 10 o'clock at night and you got to get started. So like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, at some point you have to say, you know what, we're going to start the game. And even if you have questions, we can kind of answer them as we go. But let's, I think always the best way to learn is through playing and through a little bit of failure and everybody being okay with that. Right. Exactly. And just reminding players to kind of trust that, that their faction makes sense and hangs together. So if you're ever in a spot where you're thinking like, well, what do I do? What am I supposed to do? It's like, well, to score points, your faction builds buildings. If you're the Marquis, like, let's look for a place on the map where yeah. you can build a building and just kind of, yeah, encourage players to kind of follow the logic of their faction. There are a lot of games that the description of it takes so long, or excuse me, the, the rules explanation of it can take so long that it can be an exhausting endeavor for the players who like feel like they've played a game just in the whole learning aspect of it. And then you're like, okay, now it's time to start. So I would say that you are benefited from reminding yourself that you need to get to that point to where you're playing the game because that's also part of learning it. Even if they won't play it flawlessly uh, or exactly by the rules, by their instinct, you have to expect that and be okay with it and just know that by doing making those mistakes in the game and you clarifying that that's the way they're going to learn and that's okay. So while playing what's a efficient way to help people learn i think we need to be very gentle with people this is a game with a jungle of restrictions and we're there just to guide players uh along but we're not trying to make strategic decisions for them um maybe outside of some early setup ones just to kind of get the ball rolling we're not trying to like play the game for somebody else because nothing is more off-putting than going through that whole rules teach and then not actually even getting to play because somebody was kept suggesting moves to you. Right? Yeah, as much as a suggestion might feel helpful, it cannot be in a learning environment, right? Because at some point you're just giving them the answers as opposed to them figuring out the answers, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's important that people enjoy the discoveries that they make. So, you know... Um, so also this goes to you, if you are an experienced root player and you are teaching a bunch of new people, you kind of have to play down. You have to like, let maybe the Woodland Alliance revolt on you in a, in a place just so that everyone kind of gets a little piece of the pie and, and can get their engine online. Because if somebody gets shut out or shouldered out of the game, they're not coming back, you know? So it, it's important that we we be gentle, not only with not suggesting things to other players, but also not you're not teaching these people to play root for the first time so you can get an easy win. Our goal is to teach these people. I think there needs to be a clear line drawn between like giving someone an advantage because you want them to learn and like playing fairly but not a cutthroat, right? Right. You can also get really distracted by your own. Um, your own wanting to teach. Like, I think I have to hold my tongue when I want to point out uh, interesting interactions, for one thing, which we're going to talk about in a second. It's easy to get down the rabbit hole of like, oh, this is cool because this player did this and you reacted with this. And you guys should learn that if this card comes out, it's like, be careful <laughs> because you're going to you're gonna ruin the rhythm of their learning. So, like, restrain yourself <laughs> and yeah. point out what's helpful that 
they either recognize or they did. You made a good point that you want them to, to enjoy the answers as they find them. Well, celebrate when they have a badass turn. If someone like scores, like always make a big deal of it in the first game, I feel like. Okay, that's two more points for Woodland Alliance. Nice job. All right, now it's the Vagabond's turn or whatever. Like kind of be the announcer a little bit and encourage the enthusiasm that you want them to have. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point, Jake. Yeah, you have to show them what a good play looks like or point one out when it happens right when it's like oh man now i can't build in that clearing and that's mm -hmm. where i was planning to build next turn mm -hmm. you can say stuff like that that be, people start to understand oh preventing people from doing stuff is what i want to do i want to get into people's business or whatever or being like look I, i'm gonna be honest if you just leave all that cardboard undefended like what am i supposed to do i'm gonna come over there and i'm gonna get it so are you sure you want to move everybody out of that clearing this totally is taken sounds so condescending but please know that like we're trying to be in a teaching voice right it's like we're trying to speak very clearly and concisely so they understand what you are trying to put out there and it doesn't come just in the place of of advice slash suggestions which we were trying to avoid too much of earlier it comes from a place of reminding people like auditorily what's going on in the game so they don't have to figure it out on uh, all their own because they're also distracted by their own board right yeah yeah and just as a, a way of reinforcing as well like one of our suggestions for how to get good at root is to play a couple of games just totally open and this is a great chance to do that you know like not necessarily open-handed per se but you know announce what you are doing or what you're trying to do and uh get people to to pitch in or like you know if somebody's like i'm trying to do this thing but i don't know how uh you know, offer some suggestions that way. Yeah, if you can get a little specific without dictating their turn, uh, that helps everybody learn better about you know how to approach the game. We're also like kind of taking a little bit of a kids glove approach to this, and maybe like your group is an experienced wargaming group, and you all play uh, very competitive cutthroat games all the time. Then you know not to take this advice the, the same way other people would. Like, do what's yeah. best for your group. Feel that out with the people uh, at your table. The this isn't evergreen advice in a lot of ways. You kind of have to apply it with uh, your friends and 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 getting an idea for their rhythms, not only for learning but how they play games as well. And the cool thing about Root is that if your if your group is very kind of experienced with war games, like Root is just in some ways like a reskin of the the coin games, which you definitely will be familiar with if that's what your group is into. And so point out the similarities there, and uh, and your group will pick it up super fast. Uh, yeah, just Root is great. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, th this next piece of advice goes double for uh, experienced players teaching a group of new players. Um, but uh, my advice is don't win. You you have to try to win. I'm not saying throw the game, but if you're doing your job right and keeping on top of everybody's rules and answering any questions and kind of like uh, narrating the game, then you shouldn't have enough focus to end up doing well yourself, you know? Um, you should, uh, your main job is to make sure everyone else is having a good time and understanding what they're doing and not to make sure that you score optimally on your turn. This is the classic game teach curse, right? Yeah. Which is, and Sam, you've taken this role in so many group games that we've learned, <laughs> which is like, you're so busy helping everyone else figure out what they're supposed to do that by the time it gets back around to your turn, you're like totally lost. Yeah, Sam's really <laughs> yeah. bad at this game. Why is he teaching us? <laughs> There's so many games where I'm like, I've never won this game. <laughs> Cosmic Encounter. How many times have we played Cosmic Encounter? I've never won. I'm always like 
teaching people, and and it's just that a hard game's game impossible to, to figure out though. Like, can you imagine <laughs> doing a podcast on that game, dude? Yeah, Dear if Lord. there was a Cosmic Encounter podcast, let us know. I would totally listen. <laughs> the game is There's crazy. Fifteen thousand episodes you have to do. <laughs> uh, it seems they're like... good as the loser. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or get bad. The faction interactions in Cosmic Encounter would just make me lose my mind. <laughs> I want to reiterate very strongly what Sam said, though. Don't throw the game because that also is like has the counter option of like people feeling like you threw it and they, their win feeling hollow right we're not suggesting right. you lose we're suggesting you don't play to the utmost of your skill set especially if you're way more experienced than them because wow you blowing them away by 15 points at the end uh is not going to make them want to come back and so for those of you that are maybe skeptical and be like well i want to play to the top of my game to encourage my players to also get good at this i hear what you're saying and i agree with you to an extent that extent being is you want them to come back so give them the best experience that will want them to come back and the best experience doesn't mean them giving getting the game given to them because you threw it it's because they earned it we mentioned this earlier but in root there's usually like a lot of downtime as a player and that can actually be one of the things that turns people off and makes them you know not want to return to a game of root but if if you uh, when it comes back around to your turn as the teacher, just kind of like quickly take your turn and don't get too kind of bogged down in your strategy or whatever. That's that's actually great because then it puts the ball back into the court of the new players who can then start to figure some stuff out. And uh, yeah, the the whole goal is just to stay present with your group and uh, and refill those snacks if they're running low. You know? <laughs> is it good to... I mean, what do you su- do? You suggest that people at least plot their turn when it's not their turn, so they can kind of get that going once they're ready. Or should they be paying attention to everything that's happening on other players' turns as well, so they start to learn the other concepts? I don't think anyone's going to be able to plot their turn in advance for a while. Maybe towards the end of your first game, someone will be like almost able to do that a little bit here and there. Well, don't the birds in the Woodland Alliance kind of have to in some ways? Like they have to prep. I mean. They could wait till their turn to make all their decisions, I'm saying, and especially because a lot of them do have to because of, like, different ruling options that might change over the course of other players' turns. But, like, you kind of have to prep with, like, your your decree choices and then, like, where you might want to spread sympathy, right? Uh, I struggle with this uh, still to this day. I have I keep a notebook by me when I'm playing online to, like, write out what I'm going to do because... I, I agree with Kyle. I don't think you're going to be able to plot out your first turn. And I and I agree with you, Jake. I don't think they're all they're not going to be able to pay attention to what other people are doing either. They're going to be doing kind of twenty five percent of both of those things. And we just have to accept that and, and, and grow with that. Um I for me, I like to listen in and kind of be like mystified by other players' uh turns and then it comes back around to me and I'm like, Oh, what do I do now? Um I think that's what I would do, but okay. if you can write down what you think you might want to do, but again, on your first game, you might be like, this is my plan. I'm going to do this. And then you start to do part one. And then the teacher has to say, well, actually you don't rule that clearing. You can't do that. And then they planned out something for nothing, which that's could a good feel point. bad. That's so a good point. I think, I think maybe it'd be best to just kind of live in the moment as much as you can. One thing I found helpful is having Encouraging players to narrate their whole turn yeah. tends to be a really effective way to not only like listen in if you're a different faction, but also just get familiar with what your order of operations is. Mm-hmm. You're just encouraged to say out loud what exactly what you're doing in every step. It's also really fun on your first game route, too, because you're like, 
Okay, so <laughs> the cats build a sawmill here, and it's, yeah, getting the flavor of all the yeah, different factions yeah. is so much better when everyone's announcing what they're doing. It is. It's such a cool game, your first experience too, because you get jealous of everybody else. Like you have such a cool thing, but then you're like, oh, you get to do that? That's really fun. Oh, what? You can do this? And what a great way to get people to come back and play a second mm-hmm. game, right? Yeah. Yeah, good point. Um, okay, so then you play the game. Uh, presumably, you or hopefully you don't win. Maybe you did win. Ideally, you haven't. If you've won, you've won in a way where like they understand what they did to allow you to win, right? Mm-hmm. Like you you gave them every opportunity, but boy, they really hamstrung themselves. And so here you are taking the crown. It's better to be honest about that and like let them like acknowledge that because they're gonna want to fix that problem in the second game, and they're probably gonna destroy you. <laughs> and maybe even unfairly attack you. Yeah, yeah. And uh, this kind of goes with what we said about uh, getting good as a player, but uh, this is kind of like the final thing of teaching is kind of like, you know, you've got them on their tricycle and you've been (laughs) holding them and and now we're letting go here as we leave the board set up uh, and just have our first post-root discussion. And this is where we're all equal now. You've played a game of Root. Let's talk about how it went. You can... You know, speak from experience if you're an experienced player about, oh, yeah, well, I kind of felt like they won because we never really attacked them. If you think about it, like we attacked each other and then they attacked me once, but we never really attacked that player or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so we can kind of uh, participate in our first post game root discussion. And uh, that is going to be huge for for getting better and and for having the concepts that we, you know, just yelled at them at the beginning can kind of sink in now. <laughs> We've seen it, them be experienced in cardboard on a board. Now we have some practice with them and can kind of talk about how they played out in reality. Great. And then uh, where do we leave it? Oh, well, you just obviously immediately schedule your next game of Root because everyone's going to be so thrilled slash jealous slash pining for your defeat if you somehow won. <laughs> That uh, they have to just get together again in the future and, and play some more. Yeah, that's a good idea to schedule it right away. Kind of puts it on everybody's calendar as opposed to waiting for them to answer the email or the text message, right? Especially because Root can sometimes be a little tough to uh, get off the shelf mm-hmm. if uh, if people feel like it's going to be a slog, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so just scheduling it right away just lets people know, like, hey, we're going to be back here. This was fun and we're going to have fun again. See you around. <laughs> Uh, yeah, if if you've really planned things out, then you've actually allotted, uh, you've made a whole day of it, and you've just played your first like morning game, and you can immediately <laughs> go into the next game. Part of designing this episode with you two was like trying to pull you back of like how much time we're asking people to invest in. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have to rent a cabin years. in the woods. <laughs> uh, yeah, I. Oh, that's just your first root manifesto. It has to be. <laughs> uh great well so i think we've outlined it pretty well in terms of before during and after uh any just kind of general tips from the professionals here about teaching games overall as a concept yeah i think uh managing questions is is a huge thing like being like oh yeah actually we'll talk about that in a sec because first i want to talk about this like acknowledging the question being like thank you we need questions as teachers you know you want them but you do need to explain things in an order for a reason Mm -hmm. and um so making sure that you're prepped on the order of information and we'd suggest 
doing it like we said. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the most logical way to lay out the information. Um, so so you're going to have to make sure that uh, I've lost my train of You thought. want to answer people's questions. You don't necessarily need to answer them right away. So use their questions, as Sam said, as a launching point to either your, your, your immediate point your next point or to say that's a great question i'll get to that and like it's 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 a uh, it's easy to seem dismissive of a person when you do that to be like hold on troy i'll explain it in a second you want to be as <laughs> diplomatic as you can and empathetic to them not understanding of just like that's that is a good question uh, i'll i'll get to that when uh, i explain the cards or whatever and showing them that their question is valuable and it was great to ask it but uh you will be better uh served by answering it soon because with the structure that you've set up for teaching it trust in that a little bit and let their questions guide you through it Absolutely. Yeah. And when you get to that point, make sure to touch back like in Troy to answer your question now. Yes, you do need a rabbit workshop to craft that card and then throw throw a gummy in his mouth to make sure he knows he's rewarded. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Troy needs a lot of encouragement. (laughs) Um, Any other pieces of advice? Uh, Yeah, I think that if during the actual like play of a game of root, you're probably going to encounter people being kind of unsure of what they're supposed to do on their turn and that's a good time to kind of remind them to check in with their player board and say well what you want to do is score points Mm -hmm. and the way your your faction does that is by doing this how can you do this on your turn and i feel like it just takes usually it'll take players a couple of rounds to kind of get their compass set on how they should be approaching the game and just being able to be like kind of a guardrails for the first couple of turns is very helpful. I love how you phrase that, though, which is what you want to do on your turn is be able to score points. And that is, you know, that's the objective of the game. So if they always know that's their destination on a turn, they're going to find the road there as best they can. But they don't always know their exactly. destination in the whole game, right? Because they can't foresee that. I mean, none of us can, but like them especially. So, yeah, giving them a, giving them an objective right there, that's a great way of doing it. And you're right. The board lays it out so nicely. It's so true. And the way Root is designed is that when you score points, usually that helps you get your engine online. That's just how these factions are designed. So that's my kind of shorthand is like, yeah, you want to score points. And whatever way you do that with your faction is going to help you score mm-hmm. more points in the future. So, like, just going for the short-term goal each turn will set them up for a nice time just later on in the game this out makes me like realize how well designed this game is like it's crazy i've always considered it a well-designed game but like those intricacies just like you mentioned is that like the way you score points also helps you get stronger within the game but like it's not based on scoring points it's not like at 10 points you then get an extra unit like some games are it's that by doing the things that gained you points that's what you're encouraged to do overall in the faction so smart. Yeah, it's crazy. Also, card draw, too. If you look at the things that get you extra cards, that's usually a, a good, like, north star of where you should go mm-hmm, on your turn mm-hmm. as well. And, yeah, that's the tastiest morsel on the board, I feel, because you always kind of feel limited with your options when you're looking at those three cards in your hand. But if you see where those plus card symbols are, those icons on your board, and you can get them revealed, that it feels you feel richer because it's like one of there's no resources in the game except for cards right those are really the only resources so um i think my advice is is something that actually i learned very recently when teaching someone some twilight imperium rules which is that however efficiently you believe you are communicating a concept 
it doesn't matter how efficient that is if the other person doesn't understand right yeah. you're you're you could be communicating flawlessly according to your own perceptions but what does that matter if they don't understand what you're talking about so i was teaching someone how to uh produce units in twilight imperium right which is one of the difficult concepts to understand in terms yeah. of different vocabulary right well someone else offered because i had explained it a couple times uh, without success someone else offered to explain it how they understood it and they were also new to it and i was like this is brilliant and so the other person explained it with a starcraft analogy which totally worked and something i never <laughs> would have done right so i really valued that person not having explained it in what i perceived to be a flawless way because that's the way i understood it they explained it in how they understood it to that third person who then it clicked for because they use different language yeah Learning anything, sometimes it's just a matter of hearing things in a different way, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. getting the right sequence of information. Yeah. And and that is helpful. I think like, yeah, if if you see that you are struggling with like a concept with somebody, if there is somebody who does understand the concept and wants to take a stab at it. Yeah, Let them. I think that is especially if they're it is so important. Yeah, especially if they are also new to root, then it's like, holy cow. Yeah. Let a student come up and do a demonstration. Absolutely. Right. Because if they're right, that's showing you you've done a good job because at least someone's getting it. And then if they're right, they're also picking it up in a way that they can help you teach it. Right. Exactly. Well, I think we've laid it all out. Anything else you want to cover before we uh, depart for the day? Yeah, I think that uh, every, you deserve a nice glass of bourbon after teaching this game. It is, a, <laughs> I said, a job and a half, and I stand by. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to upgrade it to two jobs teaching and playing a, a, a game of Root, and you deserve whatever treat, whether that's a glass of bourbon or maybe just the rest of that pack of gummies. I think that you uh, you deserve a little treat for, for doing that. And that it. goes to the time that you spent teaching it, right? Because it's not that you teach the game. It's that you teach the game, then you teach four other games <laughs> within it, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, Sam and Kyle, thank you so very much for teaching me how to teach Root a little bit better. Um, eager to talk about this more as we go on. But what are we going to talk about next week? Oh, next week, we're, we're getting out of the theoretical, and we're getting to the very physical components of the game. <laughs> so we're talking about, we're getting into the in-depths of what? Cards, warriors, clearings. We're getting into the hard details of things. Like We are going to talk about the components we are going to discuss them and overview them we're going to be talking basically just like how important each component is and all the aspects of the game that each component touches yeah we've been we've been uh you know this is like a wildlife documentary well we're going to go to a history museum and look at a skeleton uh yeah and this is what root is yeah. <laughs> that's what it's made up of we're gonna look at some bird skeletons i like that <laughs> there, there we go. go that's the analogy you're gonna need that words for birds book again. <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> all right well let's go look at some bones next week mm, that's not the outro i want to do uh <laughs> <laughs> Do we have a uniform outro yet? Do we just start chanting Root like Kyle did in 101? <laughs> I think that's a hilarious outro. I think it is too. Yeah. It's just, we have to, it requires us to build the energy for it or we just go Root, 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 Root,